Welcome to First Incision, the podcast about preparing for the General Surgery Fellowship exam. I'm your host, Amanda Nikolic. Today's episode is on anatomy of the lower limb, and we're going to spend some time talking about the popliteal fossa and the anatomy of the leg. So let's start by talking about the popliteal fossa. The popliteal fossa is a diamond-shaped area behind the knee. It's bordered superiorly by the hamstring muscles. So its medial border is the semitendinosus and semimembranosus muscles, and the lateral border is the biceps femoris muscles. The inferior border of the popliteal fossa is the medial and lateral heads of the gastrocnemius muscle. The roof of the fossa is the fascia lata of the leg, and it's quite strong and thick here. And the floor from above downwards is the popliteal surface of the femur, the capsule of the knee joint, and the popliteus muscle. The contents of the popliteal fossa are essentially the popliteal artery and vein, as well as the tibial nerve. And the perineal branch of the sciatic nerve is also located in the popliteal fossa, but usually is skirting across to the lateral side of the fossa. The artery is the deepest structure in the popliteal fossa, and so is very well protected. And that's why it can be difficult to palpate a popliteal pulse. The popliteal artery commences as it exits the adductor hiatus in adductor magnus. It travels through the popliteal fossa as the deepest structure, as I've mentioned, starting medially and then skirting laterally as it goes distally. And it goes behind the fibrous arch in soleus in order to enter into the leg. The popliteal artery branches into three branches, which is often referred to as the trifurcation. The anterior tibial artery, the posterior tibial artery, and the perineal artery. Although referred to as a trifurcation, the anterior tibial is really the continuation of the popliteal artery and is the main branch. And the uh, posterior tibial and perineal arteries often come off a common trunk called the tibio-perineal trunk, which then divides into these two arteries. There may be a need to expose the popliteal artery for vascular procedures like fempot bypasses or repair of a vascular injury or popliteal aneurysm. And there's a number of different ways to expose the popliteal artery. The most commonly described approach that I've seen is a medial approach, and this involves dividing various muscles and reflecting them either anteriorly or posteriorly, depending on which part of the artery you want access to. So whether it's the proximal part, the middle part, or the distal part. For the proximal exposure of the artery, a medial incision is made just um, anterior to the border of sartorius, and the sartorius is reflected posteriorly. And if further exposure is needed, then then the uh, medial head of the gastrocnemius can also be divided. 
Continuing more distally, the distal exposure of the popliteal artery is restricted by the musculotendinous structures of the sartorius, semimembranosus, semitendinosus, and the gracilis muscles at their point of insertion. And so actually you can divide the insertions of these muscles in order to get better access to the distal popliteal artery. This medial approach is good because the lateral incision avoids a contracture over the knee joint and also the incision can be extended um, up the thigh along the course of the femoral artery to gain proximal exposure as well and the patient doesn't have to be repositioned during the operation. There are some other approaches to the popliteal artery, including a posterior approach, which obviously involves avoiding the major nerves in the popliteal vein. But the issue with this approach is that it's very difficult to access the proximal segment of the popliteal artery, as this is coming quite laterally and isn't very accessible. Um, And also the incision placed in the back of the skin crease can cause a flexion contracture. And there's also a lateral approach that can be used where an incision is made laterally coming through the fascia lata and the biceps tendon is displaced backwards behind the intermuscular septum to gain access to the popliteal fossa from a lateral direction. But I don't think this is done as commonly as the medial approach. So let's talk a little bit about the bones of the leg. The two bones of the leg are the tibia and the fibula. The tibia is the largest of the two bones and is located medial to the fibula. The tibia has an upper end which has a prominent tibial tuberosity anteriorly. The tibial plateaus above have the articular surfaces, which articulate with the femur to form the knee joint. There are two condyles which extend posteriorly from the um, upper end of the tibia, and this is the medial and the lateral condyles. The shaft of the tibia extends down the leg and it has a triangular shaped surface and you can feel on your own leg that there's a flat portion right at the front of your shin, so the shin bone, um, that's part of the shaft of the tibia. The lower end of the tibia has a medial malleolus which forms part of the ankle joint and has an articular surface that articulates with the talus bone of the ankle joint. The fibula is a much smaller bone than the tibia and essentially doesn't really bear any weight in the leg. The head of the fibula has a articular surface that articulates with the tibia. It's got a long shaft and then finishes as the lateral malleolus down the bottom. It's connected to the tibia across or along the shaft with a strong interosseous membrane, which we'll talk about a little bit as we talk about what everything is doing in the leg. So moving on now, let's talk a little bit about the muscles of the leg. And we're going to talk about each of the three compartments. So there's an anterior compartment, a lateral compartment, 
and a deep compartment in the leg. And the deep compartment is split up into a superficial and deep, deep compartment. The leg is invested in the investing fascia and there's two strong intermuscular septums that extend from the investing fascia down to the bone. And this is the anterior intermuscular septum and the posterior intermuscular septum. The anterior compartment is bounded medially by the shaft of the tibia and laterally by the anterior intermuscular septum. The lateral compartment is bounded medially by the anterior intermuscular septum and laterally by the posterior intermuscular septum and also the fibula. And the posterior compartment essentially sits behind the tibia, the interosseous membrane, the fibula, and the posterior intermuscular septum. So starting with the anterior compartment of the leg, this is known as the extensor group of muscles, and it comprises of the tibialis anterior, the extensor hallucis longus, and the extensor digitorum longus, and the perineus tertius. All of the muscles in the anterior compartment are supplied by the deep perineal nerve. And the artery of this compartment is the anterior tibial artery, which travels down on the interosseous membrane. So starting first with the tibialis anterior muscle. This muscle originates from the medial surface of the tibia and the interosseous membrane. The tibialis anterior muscle travels down the leg and turns into a strong tendon, which passes underneath the inferior extensor retinaculum and is inserted into the medial cuneiform and part of the first metatarsal bone. The next muscle is the extensor hallucis longus, and this arises below the tibialis anterior muscle from the middle two-fourths of the fibula and the interosseous membrane. This muscle again turns into a strong tendon which passes down underneath the inferior extensor retinaculum and is inserted into the base of the terminal phalanx of the great toe. As its name suggests, it is an extensor of the great toe. The next muscle is the extensor digitorum longus, which arises from the upper three quarters of the extensor surface of the fibula. It again travels down the leg as a single tendon, passes underneath the inferior extensor retinaculum, and after this it, it branches into four tendons, which travel to the toes and are inserted in a similar way to the tendons of the flexor digitorums in the hand as a single slip into the base of the middle phalanx and as two slips that pass around that first slip and then join back together to be inserted into the base of the distal phalanx. And the last muscle of the anterior compartment of the leg is the perineus tertius and this arises from the lower part of the fibula and it travels down the leg again as a single tendon to be inserted into the dorsum of the base of the fifth metatarsal bone. As I mentioned, the muscles of the anterior compartment are all supplied by the deep perineal nerve. 
So as you know, the sciatic nerve arises from the anterior primary rami of L4 to S3, and it travels down the posterior aspect of the thigh and passes through the popliteal fossa. It branches into the tibial nerve, which continues down the posterior compartment of the leg, and we'll talk about that later, but also branches into the common fibula or perineal nerve. The common perineal nerve passes laterally in the popliteal fossa lying on the biceps femoris muscle and then disappears into the substance of perineus longus and wraps around the neck of the fibula where it's often at risk and especially important for us to know to prevent pressure injuries at this location. It then divides into the deep and superficial perineal nerves within the substance of perineus longus. The deep perineal nerve spirals around the neck of the fibula deep to the origin of the fibers of the extensor digitorum longus to travel to the interosseous membrane. And it sits just anterior to the interosseous membrane as it travels down the leg on the lateral side of the anterior tibial artery. Its only sensory supply is to the skin over the first webbed space of the foot. The anterior tibial artery is the artery of the anterior compartment of the leg. And as I've mentioned, this is kind of the continuation of the popliteal artery. So the anterior tibial and the tibioperineal trunk are the sort of two branches of the popliteal artery. The anterior tibial artery passes forwards above the upper border of the interosseous membrane in order to enter into the anterior compartment and then travels down the anterior surface of the interosseous membrane with the deep perineal nerve as it runs down the leg. It gives off muscular branches to the muscles of the anterior compartment and passes underneath the extensor retinaculums just to the lateral side of the tendon of the extensor hallucis longus to pass onto the dorsum of the foot, at which point it changes its name into the dorsalis pedis artery and the pulse of the dorsalis pedis can be palpated here. The next compartment to talk about is the lateral compartment of the leg. And as I've mentioned, this is bounded by the anterior and posterior intermuscular septum, as well as the fibula and obviously investing fascia of the leg. There are two main muscles that arise in the lateral compartment, and this is the perineus longus and perineus brevis muscles. The nerve of the lateral compartment is the superficial perineal nerve, and the artery or vascular supply of the lateral compartment is from branches from the perineal artery, which is actually located in the posterior compartment, but there are branches that pierce the flexohalysis longus muscle and the posterior intermuscular septum in order to supply this compartment. So the perineus longus muscle arises from the upper two-thirds of the fibula, and the perineus brevis arises from the lower two-thirds of the fibula. 
These muscles turn into uh, two tendons which pass down the lateral aspect of the leg and passed posterior to the lateral malleolus over the lateral surface of the calcaneus. The tendon of the peroneus brevis is inserted into the base of the fifth metatarsal bone, but the tendon of the peroneus longus takes a longer course to pass below the peroneal trochlea under the sole of the foot and is inserted into the base of the first metatarsal. And these tendons essentially um, are there to provide lateral eversion of the foot. As I've mentioned, the lateral compartment is supplied by the superficial perineal nerve. So this also comes off the common perineal nerve, which is a branch of the sciatic nerve. And as I've mentioned, it divides in the substance of perineus longus into the superficial and deep perineal nerves. The superficial perineal nerve passes downwards in this muscle, so in the perineus longus muscle, to provide motor supply to the perineus longus and the perineus brevis. An interesting thing to note about the superficial perineal nerve is that it pierces the deep fascia or investing fascia halfway down the leg and passes laterally to supply sensory supply over the lower lateral aspect of the leg and the lateral aspect of the foot. And this nerve can be damaged in a compartment release or a fasciotomy of the leg and needs to be identified and protected. So the last compartment to talk about is the posterior compartment of the leg, often referred to as the calf. As I mentioned earlier, there's both a superficial and deep part of the posterior compartment of the leg. So starting with the superficial group of muscles, this includes the gastrocnemius, the soleus, and the plantaris muscles. As I mentioned when we were talking about the popliteal fossa, the gastrocnemius muscle arises from a medial and lateral head, which arise from the condyles of the femur. The soleus muscle arises from both the fibula and the tibia, and there's a fibrous arch between these two origins, which is where the popliteal vessels and the tibial nerve pass behind to enter into the posterior compartment. The plantaris is a pretty insignificant muscle that arises from the shaft of the femur and um, is basically a vestigial muscle, so it doesn't really have much function. So these three muscles, the gastrocnemius, soleus and plantaris muscles all converge into a thick tendon which is called the tendocalcaneus or the Achilles tendon and this tendon inserts into the calcaneus. These muscles all function to plantar flex the foot. The deep muscles of the posterior compartment are the flexor digitorum longus flexor hallucis longus, and tibialis posterior. I always got a little bit confused thinking about what the tendons are that pass around the medial aspect of the ankle and the foot. So on the lateral side, you can see the tendons of the lateral compartment, but where do these medial tendons come from? And so these medial tendons are from the deep muscles of the posterior compartment. 
So the flexor digitorum longus arises from the fibula and from the tibia and passes down the leg as a bipennate muscle, passing beneath the flexor retinaculum and then passing into the sole of the foot. It divides into four tendons, and these tendons are inserted into the fibrous flexor sheaths of the lateral four toes. The flexor hallucis longus is the biggest and bulkiest muscle of the deep compartment, and it arises from the flexor surface of the fibula, from the flexor digitorum longus aponeurosis, and the flexor surface of the fibula and interosseous membrane. The muscle is described as beef to heel, so it's got muscle fibers all the way down to the ankle joint, and then turns into a tendon, which passes along the medial border of the foot to be inserted into the base of the distal phalanx of the great toe. The tibialis posterior arises from the interosseous membrane as well as both the tibia and the fibula, and it passes again around the medial side of the foot and is inserted into the tuberosity of the navicular bone. The nerves of the posterior compartment of the leg, both the deep and superficial, is the tibial nerve. And this is a continuation of the sciatic nerve. As I mentioned, this nerve passes over the fibrous arch of the soleus muscle and so travels down deep to or on the anterior surface of the soleus. And it gives motor branches to all of the muscles of the deep and superficial posterior compartment of the leg. It continues down into the ankle and branches into the medial and lateral plantar nerves. These supply some of the intrinsic muscles of the foot, or most of the intrinsic muscles of the foot, as well as sensation to the foot. The tibial nerve also gives off a branch quite high up called the sural nerve, and the sural nerve runs down the posterior aspect of the calf in the superficial tissues. So this is a sensory nerve, and it often runs in close approximation or relationship to the short saphenous vein up the posterior aspect of the calf. The artery of the posterior compartment is the posterior tibial artery, which as we've mentioned is a branch off the tibioperineal trunk, which is a branch off the popliteal artery. It passes under the fibrous arch of the origin of soleus, the same way the tibial nerve does. So it runs down anterior to the soleus muscle between the muscles of flexor digitorum longus and flexor hallucis longus. It gives a number of branches to the muscles of the um, posterior compartment and then passes under the flexor retinaculum where it can be palpated um, behind the medial malleolus as a pulse and then divides into the medial and lateral plantar arteries. As I mentioned earlier, the perineal artery also runs in the posterior compartment. It runs between the tibialis posterior and the flexor hallucis longus muscle and gives perforating branches through to supply blood to the lateral compartment. An important thing to know about sort of surgical relevance for the leg is in below knee amputations, 
the posterior flap is supplied by blood vessels that pierce through the gastrocnemius muscle and supply the overlying skin for the flap. But none of these vessels come from the soleus muscle. So often the soleus muscle below the level of the tibial incision is removed from the posterior flap. And then the other thing to know is that the soleus muscle has a lot of veins in it and is critical to the venous pump of the leg to help um, pump blood back up through the venous system. And so failure of uh, mobility or failure of this calf pump can lead to venous hypertension. So briefly to talk about the veins of the leg, there's both a superficial and deep venous system. The superficial system includes the great saphenous vein and the small saphenous vein. The great saphenous vein arises on the medial aspect of the foot from the dorsal venous arch and passes anterior to the medial malleolus to travel up the medial aspect of the leg. It often travels with the saphenous nerve, which is a cutaneous branch from the femoral nerve that supplies the skin of the medial knee, medial calf, shin, and medial forefoot. And the great saphenous vein and the saphenous nerve travel in the subcutaneous tissue. So this is all external to the investing fascia of the leg. It can be injured here during lateral incisions for fasciotomy. The great saphenous vein then travels up the medial aspect of the thigh, spiraling anteriorly to drain into the femoral vein after piercing the cribriform fascia. It has a number of superficial tributaries, including the superficial circumflex iliac, the superficial inferior epigastric, and the superficial and deep external pudendal veins. And importantly, there's a number of places throughout the leg that the great saphenous vein has perforators that perforate the investing fascia to communicate with the deep venous system. And if these perforators are incompetent, then this can contribute to varicose veins and venous hypertension. It's thought that there are probably three perforators in the leg um, along the length of the vein, but these are variable. The small saphenous vein arises on the lateral side of the foot from the dorsal venous arch and passes behind the lateral malleolus, travels up the lateral aspect of the leg, and then passes posteriorly to travel up the back of the calf. And as I've mentioned, it travels with the sural nerve, which is a sensory nerve. The small saphenous vein will then drain into the popliteal vein um, by passing deep to the investing fascia. Again, it can have some perforators. The deep venous system essentially follows the arteries. And as I've mentioned, there's a plexus of veins within the soleus, which helps to pump and move the blood up the leg. And that completes this episode on anatomy of the leg. Thanks so much for sticking with me through this anatomy series. I hope this was helpful for your revision. Definitely it was helpful 
for mine and having listened back to some of the upper limb episodes already, I can tell that I know this anatomy a lot better than I did beforehand. Good luck to everyone who's sat their exams or who's just sat. Please, if you enjoy the podcast, leave me a review, rate the podcast and tell your friends about it. It makes it easier for others to find and hopefully I can continue doing this podcast as a resource for everyone who'll be sitting their exams in the coming years. It's time to close up. Thanks for listening to First Incision. If you have any comments or feedback, send us a message at firstincisionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at First Incision. Happy studying! <laughs>